0: This story today we're going to talk about is, is actually from the Old Testament, and it's a story about marriage. And um, I want to start, you, uh, start off by talking about my marriage with Adrienne, um, and, and a little bit about how we came to be married. We actually dated for seven years, and I'm super, I'm, I'm actually, I actually don't know why, but I'm kind of like ashamed or embarrassed about the fact that it took us so long to get married. Um, and you'll see why in a little bit. I've got a tail, sorry. So we met in college at Azusa Pacific University, um, and both of us were pre-med students, and I was the super nerdy one that always would, like, um, brag about my test scores, and she was, like, the beautiful cheerleader type that um, thought I was a jerk, probably. I don't even know what she saw in me, but, um, but somehow at the beginning of our junior year, we began studying together. I was helping her study. And that was um, eventually studying became dinner. And uh, I remember the first date we had. It was actually, we went to Acapulco restaurant. Anybody know about Acapulco? I mean, there's still some around, but it's very few of them. But across the street from Azusa Pacific is in Acapulco, I think, Amy went to Azusa Pacific, right? So uh, there she's back. Oh, she's not there. Um, So anyways, there's an Acapulco back uh, there, and we went to Taco Tuesday, and afterwards we went and saw Jurassic Park. That's how old I am. (laughs) So um, we watched Jurassic Park, and it was awesome. It was glorious. And after that, we began dating, and in the following months, we kind of... Grew really close. We, our families met. It was kind of cool how we, how our families kind of connected. It was, it was, it was interesting. But at about after about a year, um, you know, we broke up. And because I, I loved her and she loved me, and but I just wasn't really a good boyfriend, just to be honest. Um, I was pretty bad at it. I was thinking about anything but putting her first. I, I mean, I had the MCATs to do. I had school. I had, I had. other priorities, other friends, and, and I just did, wasn't very good at putting my wife, or my at that time, girlfriend first, and, and so she, we broke up. Um, but about senior year, um, I don't know what happened. We saw each other in the hall, and next thing, you know, we're back together again. And I'm going to Loma Linda Medical School, so that was where I, I went to, to medical school, and she actually followed me and did her master's in public health in, um, in Loma Linda as well. And uh, in medical school, I found another thing that I loved to do, which was golf. Um, I loved golf. I still love golf, but I try not to love it that much. Um, uh, And I remember, like, at that time, we would plan a date for dinner or whatever, and say dinner was at 8, and I would think, it's summer, you know, it gets dark around 8. I think I should be able to make it to dinner by 8. Well, you know... I can always squeeze a little more golf into um a day, a, a day and and I'd show up late to dinner and she's like do you love golf more than you love me and I was I was pretty again a pretty bad boyfriend so it was embarrassing I remember her frustration with how I was acting and somehow though she continued to hang in there with me and I don't know what's going why she did that but um anyways we broke up a few times in medical school, even probably because I love golf more than her, or whatever. And uh, I actually can't remember why we broke up. That's the thing; I don't remember things very well, and I also don't try not to remember fights with with um, with my wife and girlfriend. But um, but I think it's just because I was dense, actually. So, um, but I know that I prioritized my own stuff, my own desires, the things that I loved um, more than I put her. But the final straw of me putting my own desires over everyone else was. We got back together again, and uh, I know this is a strange story, but we just kept doing this, um, and, and uh, we had, it was the fourth year of medical school, so I was about ready to graduate and uh, graduation was done, coming, and my parents uh, were gonna set up a nice graduation party at Guadalajara's. Anybody know where Guadalajara's is in San Bernardino, or was in San Bernardino? It was awesome, you know, chips and salsa. It was, it was great. It's gone. It's still sitting there empty, and I feel sad every time I drive by it. But um, we had this party set up for my parent, my family, um, close friends, and and uh, anyways, I. I was kind of embarrassed or ashamed that I kept breaking up with my girlfriend at the time and I felt like my parents would think I was wishy-washy and um, I didn't want to invite her. I didn't want people to to think like, what is wrong with this guy? Why can't he figure out what he's doing? Um, and to say the least, because I was thinking about me, Adrienne wasn't very happy about that. She's like, this is the last time we're going to break up. We're done. I'm done with you putting your, your own... Th- you know, worries and wants and needs above my, me and, and she told me, you know, this is the last time we're breaking up and that was 16 years ago this month. Um, so I went off to my family medicine residency and I, uh, you know, did some soul searching, actually started attending the Grove, which is in Riverside and, and I was doing my family medicine residency in Riverside and in January of 2001... I heard a sermon that would change my life, and and it was from Tom Lance, and he said it was talking about marriage, and he was talking about putting Christ at the center of your marriage and also putting your wife's needs above your own. And it hit me at that point that if I didn't change what I thought and how I worked in my own relationships, I was gonna like die a lonely bachelor. (laughs) Because I wasn't. I hadn't grown up and I hadn't figured that out and it, and it dawned on me that I was acting so self-centered and I needed to be Christ-centered and that made all the difference. And I knew that I loved Adrienne even when we were broken up but just didn't know how to love her or have a relationship with her. So I sent an email. That's what we did back in 2001 when we were trying to do something romantic. We sent an email. <laughs> So I sent an email to Adrienne, right, and um and I told her about the change in my life, how I had a different perspective on relationships, and and this time truly it would be different. And um and six months later, and actually fifteen years ago this month, I found myself on one knee um at La Jolla Cove with a ring in my pocket and saying these infamous words. Adrienne, I love you. And I was wondering, would you marry me? I was wondering, I'd never live it down, because I was like still wishy-washy at that time, but (laughs) I wasn't confident, but I was like, I was wondering. And she said yes. And here's a picture from that night. Wow. I was so young, wasn't I? I had hair. And she looks exactly the same, so... And I still can't believe she said yes. After all I had done to not deserve her love, she still pursued me and she still loved me despite all my faults and my flaws and the mistakes. And for that, I'm I'm eternally grateful. This is what we looked like after we got married. I look pretty happy. (laughs) So 15 years ago um, in January, we got married. So I must be doing something right, right, at this point. So enough about me, <laughs> let's talk about you. I'm sure for all of us we have stories of, of relationships gone bad. Or people that we've continued to give second chances to and, and they keep letting us down. Maybe it's in your family, maybe it's a dating relationship, maybe it's in your marriage. <clears throat> maybe it's a friend who's just not keeping up to their commitments. Maybe it's somebody at your workplace. There's always people that, that let us down. And maybe you even feel like God's let you down at times. You've been doing all the right things and praying and reading the Bible and doing all the things religiously that you should be doing and God's not holding up his end of the bargain. Have you ever felt like that sometimes? You keep performing for God and and you're tired. You're worn out. But do you ever think about how it feels to be in relationship with God from the perspective of God? Have you ever thought of of how God feels in a relationship with us? As humans, we're kind of used to thinking about our own, our own perspective and our own feelings and our own experience and our own needs. But we're created in the image of God. And because of that, if our created, Creator created us to have these feelings of Feeling betrayed and feeling let down, God must feel those same things about us at times too. So today we're going to tell a story, which is often untold, and it's for a good reason actually, because it's kind of PG-13. Um, actually, I was, I was, uh, te- Adrian was texting with um, Jennifer about this week because we're trying to keep our children's church along with the uh, with the sermon series and. And she says, are you serious we want to talk about prostitutes in children's church? And I, and I said, let's, uh, let's massage it a little bit so it's not just about that. So don't worry, you won't have any questions about this in, uh, at, at lunchtime. I hope. I mean, maybe she went with my first response, which was, yes, we're talking about the hookers. So um, it was a joke. It was a joke, Jennifer. Totally. So we cleaned it up for the kids, so... How many of you have heard the story of Gomer? Wow, you got—we got like biblical scholars in here. I am in trouble because honestly, I was when I heard Jason says, "Have you heard the story about Gomer?" And I'm like searching my children's church records in the brain. You know, like oh, that, there's no song about her. Um, <laughs> I mean, I know about Gomer Pyle, and that's a guy, but Gomer the female—I don't. I couldn't remember it. I'm sure I'd read it at some point, but in my world, the word gomer has a specific meaning. So I'm a doctor, you guys know that. And I hope... I I mean, I'm kind of... I'm telling you all these embarrassing things about me today. So I'm kind of ashamed about this, but but gomer means... uh, We use this term gomer as a physician to mean um, these frequent flyer people who come to our emergency rooms. um, People who... We'd rather not be there. Um, they're kind of like the drug-seeking patients or the, the people that you just can't seem to fix. And uh, sometimes we, we call them Gomer and Gomers, and uh, here's what it stands for, get out of my ER. You know? So you guys don't respect me anymore. I totally understand it. But but it's kind of funny because Gomer, the biblical character, is is kind of somebody you would probably think of like this. Like, like a gomer, um, like a medical gomer, um, so anyways this 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 character is found in the book of Hosea, and uh, Hosea was a prophet or a preacher in Israel, and he lived around seven or eight hundred years before Jesus was born and so you know twenty seven twenty eight hundred years ago now, and God's people, the Israelites, had begun worshiping other gods like they were used to doing, and uh this, this God, the gods they were worshipping at this point were Baal and Asherah, um, And they'd forgotten the one true God that had brought them out of Egypt. And who'd um, and been there all along. So the Lord called Hosea to speak to these Israelites and, and to tell them that he loved them, really. And so we're going to begin the story by looking at Hosea. Chapter one, verse two and three. So it says this, and this is going This is a long story, so I'm not gonna read every bit of it, but it's on the it's on the screen here. It says this: When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, "Go, marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her, for like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord." So he married Gomer, the daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. So Gomer is a promiscuous woman and. And that's a nice way of saying prostitute. Uh, she's, she's, you know, a sex worker. And um, poor Hosea didn't deserve to be married to somebody like that, but, but he was called by God to marry her. And can you imagine what people were saying? Like, if you're a pastor in this day and age, and the pastor married a prostitute, it would be pretty awkward, right? I mean, people would be whispering behind his back, like, Hosea's doing? He's kind of, I don't know about that guy. So anyways, he calls out to hear, and God's saying this. He's like, look, my people, they're unfaithful. I want you to feel just like I feel. And it's not just that God, that Hosea is like getting along with God and just saying, okay, God, whatever you say, I'm going to obey. But she, he actually loves her a lot. And so as you read through the, the book of Hosea, you're going to see that that, that no matter what, Hosea just loves this woman, and, and then they have children, and you see that on the on on this per- por- portion of the scripture here, and so I'm thinking as I read through this story, oh good, and everything's going to go well. It's like the, the the kind of story where the guy with the the knight in shining armor marries the girl with daddy issues, and she has a baby and they live happily ever after. But that's actually not what happened. So let's let's go to the next slide here. And we're going to talk about Hosea 1, verses 4 through 9. Um, because if you ever thought that this was a good story or a story of everybody's happily live, lives ever after, you're going to get, get, get to see that something different now. So then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel in that day. I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Now, Jezreel to us doesn't really mean much. I mean, what's Jezreel? Sounds like, you know, one of those Bible terms you can't pronounce. But Jezreel, in that day and age, if you can kind of read through the li- between the lines, but as I, as I study this, you find that Jezreel is actually kind of like saying, in our culture, Auschwitz. It's like naming your kids... Auschwitz or Hiroshima or something like that, where a big massacre happened, and God's telling, telling uh, Hosea to name his kid Auschwitz. That's that's amazing. So then it gets worse though. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call her Lo Ruhamah, which means not loved. <laughs> you call your daughter not loved. Wow. For I will no longer show love to Israel that I should at all forgive them, yet I will show love to Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but I, the Lord their God, will save them. After she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, ah. Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Lo-Ami, which means not my people, or not mine. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. You see this kind of parallel universe between what God is calling... Hosea to call his children and how God feels about Israel. And and if you read between the lines as well, you can tell that these children aren't Hosea's kids. Okay, so he tells them to name name them. So Gomer has three kids. They're probably from three different, um, you know, men. I'm just trying to say it in PG13 way. Um, but um, so so he so then he has them and he names them. Hiroshima or Auschwitz not mine not loved I mean wow can you imagine like introducing to your neighbors like hey I'm Hosea how are you doing yeah this is my wife Gomer oh you know her (laughs) okay yeah that's awkward um yeah you guys she does work the night shift so I'm sure you've seen her around but um and then this is my kid my son my firstborn, Auschwitz and uh the other, the other son here, we call not mine, and uh, not loved. My daughter, she's beautiful, isn't she? So, I mean, poor Hosea, like he did not deserve this, but somehow, he's in this for life, and he loves this woman, and he is so just smitten by her, and he's willing to live in that awkward space. <laughs> But God is setting the scene here for even more of a train wreck. So despite how much Hosea loves Gomer, Gomer is not going to continue to be faithful to him. She's used to getting what she wants, when she wants, with whom she wants, whenever she wants. And through chapter 2 of Hosea, you're going to see how Hosea and God have this, again, parallel feelings about Gomer and about Israel and about us. See, Hosea, this he's not like he's just living with this and saying, yeah, it's okay, it's cool, do whatever you want, Gomer, it's cool. She, he's like this jilted, jealous, broken-hearted lover who just wants his wife to be with him. He's emotional, and God's emotional. And so he says this in Hosea 2, verse 4. He says, I will not show my love to her children, because they're not the child they're children of adultery, I'm sorry. Their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. So you see here, Hosea's not just like okay with this. He's like, nah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna love them. And so Gomer, doing what Gomer does, she says, Okay, I'll go after my lovers. This is in verse five. I'll go after my lovers who give me food and my water, my wool, and my linen. She gets what she wants, when she wants, from whoever she wants. My olive oil and my drink. She goes and takes off for greener pastures. And she's used to being the center of attention and getting things from others. And of course, it doesn't work. So Gomer comes back to Hosea and says this. In verse 7, he says, She'll chase after her lovers but will not catch them. She'll look for them but not find them. And then she'll say, "I will go back to my husband, as at first. For then I was better off than now." It's kind of parallel to the uh, prodigal son story, right? It's kind of like, "Oh, I'm going to go do my own thing, and then I'm going to come back, and back and forth, and back and forth." Hosea and Gomer go. He pursues his wife. He loves her, but he hates the fact that she's with other men. And as Gomer continues to pursue her own ways, Hosea is heartbroken. And I can imagine that Gomer must have also felt pretty ashamed about how she was acting towards him because he loves her and yet she feels like I'm doing something wrong. So this is a beautiful verse in verse 14 of Hosea coming back and thinking, ah, I want to win her back though. He says this, Therefore I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. So despite the infidelity and her constantly looking for other men, he still wants to woo her. He still wants to speak tenderly to her. He wants to win her back to him. And God is saying the same thing to us. He was saying the same thing to the Israelite people, but he's saying the same thing to us as well, even when we're far away from him. Even when we feel like we don't have a relationship he wants that relationship so bad it's, it hurts. He's not asking us to change our, 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 our lives before He gets us back. He's not asking us to be different than we are now before He accepts us into His family. He just wants to whisper in our ears, I love you, I want you with me. And so often we're committed to our own stuff, our own addictions or we don't live up to what we think we should, our standards or God's standards. And we have difficulty keeping God first. And as I listened or read through this story, I just I put myself in God's shoes and I'm like, "Man, I'm so sorry." I can only imagine how it feels because if you think about it through the eyes of Hosea, I kinda get how God feels. It's this beautiful love story He has with us. We're gonna go back to Homer I mean Hosea here and Gomer and bring it back full circle because there's a beautiful piece of the story in Hosea chapter three. It says this the Lord said to me, says to Hosea, Go show your love to your wife again. Though she's loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to their gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. Raisin cakes are like um, a way of worship to Baal. So it's just a kind of a, like we use bread for communion. They used raisin cakes to worship Baal. So that's what that meant. So I, I, I bought her f- for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. That's a lot of barley. Actually, that's about the price that you would pay for a, for a slave on the open market. And then he says this to her, You are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way towards you. See, Hosea buys Gomer back. He pays the price, whatever it would cost, to buy her on the open market. And he brings her back to live with him. I mean, I can't imagine doing that. You see, God's the same God that sees us this way. He sent his son as a payment for each of us. For all the stuff we do that we don't deserve his love, he sent his son. In fact, in Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, Hosea even foretells this story. It says, Out of Egypt I called my son. So, can you imagine, like, this story? seven or eight hundred years before Jesus even came, was telling the story that we're now able to tell to the whole world. Because Jesus paid for it. And God loves us so much that He's never going to give up. He desires this connection with us. And we belong to Him. And Paul says it well in, in Romans Chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, he says this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. There was nobody less godly than Gomer, right? See, very rarely will anyone die for even a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners. While we were still in bed with other men, while we were still in the midst of our addiction, while we were still putting other things ahead of God, Christ died for us. I mean can you believe it? How does that hit you? I mean, have you ever felt like Gomer? I mean not I'm not asking for a raise, raising hands at all, but um you see I think we all have a little gomer in us. This spiral of of shame where we think we're not worthy of God's love. You say to God, you know, I'll never do this again. <laughs> and then you do it again. And then you feel guilty about it. Man, I did it again. And then you feel shameful about it. And shame is, the, is a little different story. It says, you know, I'm an idiot. I don't deserve God's love. I am, I am my sin. But then it restarts this vicious cycle. When you believe that you are not worthy, when you believe that you aren't worthy of God's love, it starts the cycle because you say, "Well, I am that person, so I'm going to do it again." And then you say, "Oops, God, I did it again. I'm So sorry. I'm an idiot." And it goes around and around in circles. It's called the shame cycle. It's actually pretty well studied in um, psychological literature. You know, as Brene Brown, I don't know if anybody knows who Brene Brown is, but she's a great um, researcher on on shame and vulnerability. And the thing is that guilt is not is not bad. Guilt guilt is is us saying, you know, I don't I didn't measure up to God's standards. I didn't measure up even to my own standards. I have values that I believe in, and if I don't live up to them, that guilt is the thing that keeps us striving to be, to to do good. But shame is something totally different. And Brené Brown writes it this way. She says I define shame as the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something we've experienced, done, or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. If you put with God after each of those things, that's the feeling that Gomer probably felt. And that's the way I feel sometimes. It's like I'm not worthy of this. And if you have that self-talk, I'm an idiot, I'm a liar, I'm an addict, I'm a cheat. And that's all that goes through your mind. I'm a failure, I'm unworthy of connection with God. If you believe that story, I want you to think about it from the perspective of God. Because God paid a price for you. He sent his son, Jesus, to die for us. And if we say, I'm not worthy of of that love... Where I'm not enough to measure up, we're actually cheapening God's price that He paid. Because we're saying we didn't pay enough. He didn't pay enough for me. And He paid all for you. And you are His son and His daughter. And He took all that shame away. We didn't deserve it, we did not deserve it. But we're no longer defined by our shame. And that's the story of grace that's incredible. And God's been telling that story of grace since the beginning of time. I mean, from Adam and Eve through Jesus. He's been telling that story. And he's been telling that story, and he told that story through this unknown prostitute. That while we were still a mess... Christ paid for it. And we're no longer defined by it. So don't believe the shame voices anymore. See, God's crazy about you. He wants your heart. He wants to be in relationship with you. And He bought you out of bondage and slavery to your own desires. And despite all of that, all of the stuff that we've done not to deserve it, He's smitten with us. <laughs> no, matter, no matter how far we run away, He's waiting for us. He wants us to live life, not through our own desires, but through His desires. And He wants to tell a story through your life. So maybe today you've heard this and you said, "You know, I but I want to I want to make a change. I want to live in a relationship with Jesus Christ." and that's the beginning of a story that can, that can change the world because our stories matter to God and our stories matter to those that we come in contact with I mean my story of me being a, feeling ashamed and, and guilty about being so wishy-washy with my girlfriend I never thought that would be something that I would tell in front of a bunch of people in fact I don't even think I've told my parents how embarrassed I was about that um but somehow that story hopefully meant something. And the stories in the Bible that, that we see, these unknown stories, they're all part of God's plan. And your story is part of God's plan. So let's start writing that story today. Let's begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. When you're, Whether you're in a place where you already are in a relationship, remind yourself that Jesus paid it all. And as the worship team comes up today, let's pray Jesus thank you so much for dying on the cross for us God thank you so much for bringing your son to earth to pay the price so that we don't have to live in shame any longer God we, we know that the stories from so long ago it could have been it could have been Buried in the in the annals of history, but God, you you kept, kept it for a reason. And thank you so much for preserving that story so that we can learn from it today. God, we know that we all have a little gomer in us. And God, we are so sorry for that. But rather than feeling ashamed, God, I just ask that we all see the price that you paid for us and that made all the difference that's all we need I just want to come running back to you God and as the ushers come today to take our offerings God may you be with what little we have as we bring what we have god may you multiply it and may it go out to all the rest of the world to show your love this amazing gospel of grace that you that you've always been telling us because we know that this needs to go out this story and this message needs to continue to spread to the ends of the earth god